All right, before we take the offering, I have one other very, very, very important announcement. Um, now, this is kind of in-house information, but if you're, if you're visiting here today, you kind of get the inside scoop as to what's going on at Homestead Church. We have been in process of buying a building in downtown Farmington, the old exchange. Yes. Man. If we're clapping for that, it's going to get way better here in a second. Um, so this has been a process that we have been involved in, the old Exchange Bank building in downtown Farmington. Well, building update. So I've got good news and I've got a challenge for the church today. So I've got to do the good news first so that the challenge makes more sense. Um, we are closing on the building this Wednesday. Wednesday is closing day, so... Um, we have a lot of details. Um, while at kids camp this week, I was involved in about a thousand emails. Thankfully, Pastor Christie was taking the reins of making all this stuff happen while I was up at kids camp. Um, but we are closing this Wednesday the loan for, so what we've done as a church, we've raised money. We've been a part of a welcome home campaign where the people of Homestead Church have given over and above their giving to raise money to buy this building. So we have money set aside to pay cash for the building on Wednesday. So we will buy the building, which is awesome. Thank you to, for your support. That is great news. And then it's going to take some renovations and repairs. So we are finalizing a loan. The loan has been approved and we'll sign all the papers at closing. And so the loan for the renovation and repairs and then additional money that we had in savings to go towards the repairs, what we didn't realize is that needs to go into an escrow account because the title company wants to know that we've got the money for the remainder of the repairs. So we have to do that. That was news to me. So as a result... We've got all the loan and everything finalized. We're good to go with all the repairs. We've got building plans drawn up and approval from city and all these things. It's all good. But what we're lacking right now is a little bit of cash up front to help with some initial costs, specifically the closing costs on Wednesday. So we've got money to buy the building. But what we need, we need about $20,000 to get us through the closing costs and then just some initial cash while all the other stuff is, all the drawings are being done. And then once we start renovations, the loan will kick in and the money that we have in escrow will kick in. That's all taken care of. But what I'm asking the church to do today is to help us out. If you've made a Welcome Home campaign commitment, we would love for you to chip in towards that this week, even today. That would help us out on Wednesday for closing costs. I know a lot of us had plans, you know, over the next year, we're halfway through the giving phase of that campaign to give towards that. If you're able to give towards your Welcome Home campaign today or tomorrow, that would help us out immensely. Um, and again, if you are, this is a, a welcome to any of you who have not made a commitment to our Welcome Home campaign. If you're a part of Homestead Church and you would like to do that, we would welcome that as well. Or if you just want to give towards the building today, you can mark building um, on that. But this is a challenge for us. We are there. We're at the finish line. So a couple of things I already mentioned. If you can give towards your Welcome Home campaign today, that would help us. And just be praying over the next few days. We are mindful that there is a lot of practical details that need to come into play, you know, and all of it's moving forward great, and Wednesday's going to be a big day, and we're going to celebrate that. But just pray that all the details would go smoothly, and we recognize this. Christy and I were talking about this this morning. There is a spiritual battle that we fight. As believers, as individuals, we know this, right? We can sense it. And as a church, there's a spiritual battle that we fight. And what we are doing this week is we are actually taking, you know, actual property 
and establishing it for the kingdom of God. And we know that there's going to be great ministry that goes on there. There's going to be people getting saved and restored and families being transformed in that building. It's not about a building, but we are actually taking ground as Homestead Church, and we're going to see God do great things through that building. So we know there's going to be a spiritual opposition. So be praying for that. Be praying for that this week as we lead up to closing. Um, and then we've spent the last week, you know, with all, all these details, meeting different business owners on the main downtown street in Farmington. And they're all very excited to have new neighbors. And we told them that we would be excellent neighbors as Homestead Community Church. So that's a little, you know, forewarning. We're going to be excellent neighbors to all the people downtown. And we're going to support the Farmington Steakhouse. Yes, I'm, I'm excited about that. That's and all the other businesses, I'm excited to see our church add life to the community. So there's just so many great things that are happening. We've just got some work to do in the short term, and we just need a little bit of help with some closing costs and some initial startup costs. So if you could help us with that, Homestead Church, we would love to have that. Um, we are excited for what God is going to do. So I have talked long enough. Let's, let's take an offering. We have a slide up there that shows you how you can give. You can give online through our website, homesteadcommunitychurch.org. There's a giving tab. You can even text 77977 to Homestead Church, and that would give you a link to our online giving platform, or you can give in the, in the offering buckets today. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your provision. And we give generously in this offering because of so many reasons, one of which is that you gave so generously for us. You provide so generously for us, and we give back to you with hearts of generosity. And Lord, we know we want to trust you. We give in this offering today as a sign of trust and as a sign of worship that you are our provider. So we do that today. God, I just take a moment. We as a church are praying for this process, this building process this week. All the details, all the money that needs to come in, all the details, all the forms, and everything for closing on Wednesday. We ask for your hand of protection and blessing. Any attack of the enemy, we push against that in the name of Jesus. Anything that comes against people knowing about God must come down in, the, in Jesus' name because you rule and you reign and you are sovereign. And so we claim that and we proclaim that in Jesus' name today. We just ask that all the details would come into place, all the workers that are coming for safety over them. We just commit this whole project into your hand. We know that you will provide as you have done, and we celebrate what you are doing. So bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ushers, you can go ahead and collect the offering. All right, our guest speaker today. Sorry, Olivia, I talked a little bit too long. Um, our guest speaker is Olivia Klinkner. I met her at Lifetime Fitness, um, and we, had, we started talking church. Their family was a part of a church in Washington State, and then they moved to Minnesota. Was it Washington? Oregon. Oh, I was like, it's either Oregon or Washington. It's one of those. Um, so it was Oregon. And I met them, we started talking about church, and so we struck up a deal at Lifetime Fitness that I would go to one of her warrior sculpt classes that she taught if she would come visit church. And I've gotten the better end of that deal because I don't think I've gone to too many warrior sculpt classes since then. However, Olivia and her awesome family have been a part of our church since then. She is going to preach today. Would you please give a nice welcome to Olivia Klinkner as she comes? So you'll have to bear with me a little bit this morning. I've been fighting the flu all week because God is good. And I promise this is not an attempt to sound more spiritual than I am. It really is the flu. 
But I love the Lord because when he speaks, he repeats himself because sometimes we're slow to listen. And I was struggling with what psalm he wanted me to teach on, and I really wanted to do Psalm 77. But when in the spectrum of psalms, it's not one that most people know or are familiar with. So I was wrestling with whether or not it was right. And I came in last Sunday, and every song we sang was about Psalm 77, whether we knew it or not. And then Christy prayed last Sunday at the end of worship, and it was exactly what I had been praying as I had been studying. And then this morning, as Jeff was sharing out of Romans 8, that was how I was going to finish. God knows what he wants to say today. And if God wants to speak, then i got to get out of the way. So will you pray with me one more time? Lord, we just come before you, knowing that though we are but man, you are concerned with us. And so, Lord, you want to speak to us. You know where we are, and you know what we need to hear. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak, because your servant is listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So my husband and I got married fairly young. So when we got married, I had only lived in two places, in my parents' house and in a dorm with five other girls. My entire life was shoved into a closet in my parents' basement, and the day came for us to move my stuff into our future apartment. My husband was walking around the house singing, Someday my prince will come. Only he changed the words to, Someday my prince will come and haul away all of my junk. And as he was going up and down the stairs, I pulled out these two giant garbage bags. And he walked down and he looked at me and he knew exactly what was in them. It was my life's collection of stuffed animals. All cats, because what else would they be? And he looked me square in the eyes and he said, that is where I draw the line. <laughs> and so though I didn't get to bring my stuffed cats into my marriage, my husband did get the benefit of my stuffing closets. You see, I hate clutter. I like things to be neat and clean on the surface, so I tend to shove it into closets and into drawers. I hold on for, to things for way too long. Things I don't want to deal with, things I'm not sure what to do with, I just shove. So on the surface, my house is clean, but if you ever come open over, open drawers and cupboards at your own risk. I always marvel when people talk about their one junk drawer because they have just one. Like, really? There's just one in your house that's hard to open? But I think sometimes we do that with our faith. We take the things we don't understand. We take the things we don't know. We take the things that we question. We take the things that, we, that hurt, and we shove them into closets and drawers because we want our faith to look neat. We want on the surface to look like we have it all together, like we believe and we never stop believing and we never falter in our believing. And so what I love about the Psalms is that they open the closets and they open the drawers and they tell us it's okay for your faith to be messy. The psalmists come out and they ask the hard questions. They talk about what they're struggling with. And they tell us it's okay. And they teach us, where do we go? How do we get through the messiness of our faith? Because we're human and faith is hard. And so Psalm 77 is one of my favorite because it is a struggle in faith that I think we all have, but none of us want to talk about it. It's that moment in our faith where we come to a place and we say, is God really who I thought he was? It's that moment in our faith where we think maybe God has changed. Or maybe he stopped loving us. Or maybe what he said to us wasn't true. We've all been there. And I think it's the most dangerous crisis of faith we can have. 
because I watched it destroy people. And so Asaph brings us Psalm 77, and he struggles with that very question. And he gives us a beautiful picture of the struggle and how to come out of it and where we go when we have that moment where we're not sure God is still there. If you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and open up to Psalm 77. We're going to read it in the NIV. The crux of this psalm is really verse 10. We'll talk about verse 10 later because it's a little bit different translation than what we find in the NIV. But open up if you have it. There's a pew Bible or just follow along with me on the screen. It says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed? For all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. This verse is actually better interpreted this is my infirmity, that the Holy God has stopped being involved. He goes on in verse 11 to say, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember our miracles of long ago, and I will consider your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people with your mighty arm. You redeemed your people with the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and writhed. The, the very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Through your footprints were not, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses. Aaron. You see, Asaph was the chief worship leader of Israel. He was picked by David. What that meant was he knew the word of God, and he knew God. He led worship, which means he led people in the word, singing the songs of the people, singing the law to the people. He knew who God was. He wasn't just anybody struggling. He was a man of the word. He was a man of devotion. He was a man of <clears throat> worship. He knew all of these things and still he struggled. It should be a comfort to us. It's not about how godly we are. It's not about how faithful we are. Faith is hard. And before this was a crisis of faith for him, as much as he knew it was a crisis of theology. He got everything turned upside down and mixed up somewhere along the way. He had begun to interpret God through his circumstances. He says that he was overwhelmed, that he couldn't be comforted. 
by what was going on. There is some debate as to whether that the circumstances he looked at were personal or national, if it was something to do with Israel. And I will tell you, it doesn't matter because both can bring you to this place. Sometimes we look at what's going on in our own lives and we can't rationalize, we can't figure out how it aligns with God and what we know about him. And sometimes we look at the people around us. I had that moment this week. One of my good friends back in Oregon lost her daughter to CF on Monday. Another kid I love lost his brother to an opioid overdose on Friday. And I just sat down and I thought, Lord, where are you? Because both can bring us to that place. Where as much as we know about God, as much as we can proclaim about his word, we look at what's around us. And we become overwhelmed. For Esau, it just wasn't compatible without what he knew about God. He had begun to see himself in relation to what God was and was not doing. I sought him out. He said, I cried out, and he refused to comfort me. He says, I remember the Lord, but my strength leaves me. He says, I have nothing left to even say. And the songs, I can't even remember them anymore. He forgot that he was strong. He forgot that he was called of the Lord to worship. He forgot the very songs that God had put in his heart because the circumstances had become so overwhelming. So not only could he, was his vision of God turned upside down, his vision of himself began to fail. And he had begun to find bitterness and the disconnect between the right he was doing and all the wrong that was happening. I cried out, he says. I meditated. I stayed up late at night with you, Lord, and still there is no answer. Have you been there? I've prayed, Lord. I've done everything I'm supposed to do, and still nothing has changed. He had somehow gotten caught up that if he had just done enough, Prayed enough, sang enough, knew enough that maybe he was sleepless, speechless, and in utter despair. He was too tired to pray, to pray and too scared to sleep. Have you been there? I have. Chipotle, when they first opened, Nobody really knew who they were, and they were trying to run these funny ad campaigns in hopes of bringing people into the store. So one of their first ad campaigns was a giant ball of tinfoil, and it just said, free cat toy with every purchase. Now, you and I, being the good Minnesotans that we are, know that they're referring to the tinfoil that comes on your burrito that you can ball up and give to your cat. Unfortunately, Chipotle was still new, and so people watched the ad, they saw the commercial, they saw it on YouTube, and they actually thought that Chipotle was giving away cat toys. And Chipotle had this crisis of advertisement because people were coming in and they were angry that there was no cat toys. That's what Asaph is going through. He knows who God is, but he has turned it all upside down, and he has made it about him. His theology was no longer about who God was. It was about who he, what he wanted God to do for him. 
in exchange for what he was willing to do for God. And he found himself asking questions. Will you reject me? Will you never show for your favor again? Has your love ceased? Has his promises failed? Did he forget to be merciful? Has his anger canceled out his compassion? We know in our heads that the answer to every single one of those questions is no. And yet when things are hard, it sure does feel like yes. Peterson translates this whole section, and he sums it up, and I love this. He says, just my luck, the high God goes out of business the moment I need him. Have you ever felt that way? (laughs) The moment I needed him. I believed up until this moment he was all of these things. And we are left with so many questions, and the hardest of those is why. And that's where Asaph was. Lord, I've done everything right. I've prayed. I've meditated. I know who you are. I know what you're capable of. Why are you not intervening? Evangelist Vance Havner spoke often of his wife, how he relied on her in the ministry. And when she passed away, he wrote a book. And I love this quote from his book. He says, I think of a year that started out so pleasantly for my beloved and me. We had made plans for delightful months ahead together. Instead, I sat by her bedside and watched her die of an unusual disease. She expected to be healed, but she died. Now all hopes of a happy old age together are dashed to the ground. I plod alone with the other half of my life on the other side of death. And my hand reaches for another hand that seems that it has vanished. And I listen at night for the sound of a voice that is still. And he says, and I am tempted a thousand times to ask, my God, why? It's okay to ask why. You are in good company if you are sitting here this morning saying, my God, why? My hand is up. I'm listening for your voice. God, why? Rebecca asked in Genesis, if all is well, Why am I like this? Moses asked in Exodus, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? And why is it you have sent me? In Numbers, the Israelites asked, why did we ever come up out of Egypt? Gideon wanted to know, why then has all this happened to us? Naomi groaned, I went out full and the Lord has brought me back home empty. Why? Nehemiah asked, why is the house of God? forsaken. Job said, why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? David asked, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Isaiah prayed, O Lord, why have you made us stray from your ways? Jeremiah asked, why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable? Habakkuk asks, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? You are in good company if you're asking why. The great men and women of faith have all asked the same question. 
For us, it's just a feeling. Because as he talked about this morning, nothing can separate us from the love of God. It is just an emotion. It's just a feeling. We feel like God has forsaken us, but he hasn't. But more importantly than that, y'all, Jesus on the cross actually experienced what it meant to be separated from God. And he cried out, why have you forsaken you're in good company because you're Savior. And the God of the universe knows exactly what it feels like to be separated from God, to feel forsaken by him. And so he understands. So we can open the closets and we can open the drawers and we can come before God and say, I feel like I've been forsaken. Why? And we don't have to be ashamed. It's okay to let your faith be messy but you also don't have to stay there. And this is what Asaph realizes. He realizes he couldn't stay there. He wasn't supposed to stay there. Asaph's theology had gotten turned upside down, and he was looking at God as vulnerable to his circumstances. He saw himself as defined by the conditions around him, and he was moved by what he could see. And we find in verse 10, the turning point. The literal Hebrew says, this is my wounding, the changing of the right hand of the Most High. Hebrew scholars argue a little bit from there how it should be translated, but they usually pick one of two. They say, I am sickened by the thought that the Most High might become inactive. And others will say, it should say, and I say, it is my grief that the Most High has changed. But in both, we have the same sense. Asaph has this moment where he realizes, I've gotten it wrong. I've turned it upside down. And so what I'm believing and what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, i got to flip it back. And that was the turning point. My daughter kind of had a year of just being pummeled. And I felt there was a lot of days this year where I was like scraping her off the floor to keep going. And the funny thing about my daughter, she's a super good kid. She gets good grades. She goes to school. She has a job. She does everything right, but sometimes she's so right, she can't admit she's wrong. And so I pray for her all the time that the Lord would make her compassionate and empathetic and a little more merciful than she is. And this year, she was just getting pummeled. I was just crying out to the Lord, God, give her relief. Let her rely on you, but give her relief. She needs a break from this. And in, in one of my classes, we were going through Nehemiah, and the pastor this one week, or my professor one week, was talking about how God grants us favor and how God has the ability even to move on hearts that aren't even towards him to give us favor. And I prayed that whole week because that's what she needed. Lord, give her favor. And he didn't. And I was kind of ticked because, you know, it's one thing when you feel like God is picking on you. It's a whole nother when you feel like he's picking on your kids. And I will tell you, as I was so angry, that God just stirred my heart. And he said, this is what you prayed for. And I went to my daughter and I said, I'm really sorry. This is all my fault. <laughs> I've been praying for you to be more compassionate. I've been praying for you to be more empathetic. And this is the only way. You see, Asaph thought he knew God. So did the people of Israel. But God needed to teach them who he was. Sometimes it's the only way, and he had to turn his theology upside down. And so he began to reason, and I love this because our belief is not blind, 
Our faith is not unreasonable. There is evidence for why we believe what we believe. And that's where Asaph starts. He says, I remember, the he remembered first what he had done. He says, I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate on all your works and muse on your deeds. He began by focusing on all that God had done. That's where we began. We can look around us at creation and remember what God has done. We can look historically through the Bible, through the scriptures, through our own lives, and remember what God has done and know that it is backed up by evidence. Historians have confirmed it. Texts have confirmed it. It's not something we made up. It's been proven to be true again and again. It's documented as true, validated by even outside sources. We can turn to the word and look at who our God was and what he did and know that what we believe is not unreasonable. We start by remembering what he's done. My husband and I spent way too many years in this place of believing that God had forsaken us, that what he had promised he was no longer going to do. And I remember a few years ago we were sitting on our back deck and my husband sighed and he goes, well... Our dogs have never had fleas, and our kids have never had lice, so there's always that. <laughs> and I still joke about that in my mind. Like, when all else fails, our dogs have never had fleas, and our kids have never had lice. But I'll tell you what, it's a big disservice to God to leave it there. He has done so much more. And we were talking about this the other night, and I said, you know what the biggest thing I see, and I've said this before, we should have never made it. Our marriage should have fallen apart years ago. Our kids should be out there doing God knows what right now. We as a family should not have sustained through what we've been through. And yet God. There's no greater testimony to what God can do than the fact he has held my family together. Through everything. No matter what. It's not just about lice and fleas. So we start there. We start to look back so that we begin to look forward. And he remembers, secondly, who God was and who God is. You see, Asaph was pretty confident in who God was. It was the who God is that he was struggling with. Because in the moment, it didn't look like all those things he knew and believed were actually true and real. And he makes an interesting statement. He talks about how the Lord is holy or in your holy place. It's interesting because the word there isn't a character or a trait. It's a state of being. I'm going to teach you one of my favorite words. It's aseity. I love it because spell check doesn't recognize it, and I love it when I know something spell check doesn't. But all aseity means is that our God is. When we talk about love, we're not talking about something he does or demonstrates. We are talking about who he is. When we talk about powerful, we're not talking about something he's capable of. We're talking about who he is. And all of those things, nothing can take away from it. He is always loving. He is always compassionate. He is always holy. And those things work together at all times for our good. I have a professor who says, the question I hate the most is when people ask me, can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? He says, it's the stupidest question ever. God is, and he cannot contradict himself. It's not a hard question. No, because he is always all 
of those things. He asked the question, in your anger, have you failed to show compassion? And I love that question because it is in his anger that his compassion is the fullest. Think about when our Lord got angry. It was in the temple. When people were preventing other people from getting in and having a moment with their Lord. When they had made his house a den of thieves and a house of money because they were standing in the way of people coming to God. That's, the only, that's what makes him angry. And so he's even more compassionate and merciful than we can ever understand. It all works together. Yes, he gets angry. He is just. And so sometimes we look at what's happening in the world and we say, how is it possible that God is good and all these things are happening? Sometimes we look at our own lives and say, how can God love me and allow all of these things? And the only thing I can tell you is because he can't not. It's who he is. And he has a plan and a purpose. And it's all for the good and it's all working together. But the problem is that he is infinite and we are finite. And so we won't always understand. And the most comforting thing I ever think is that just because he hasn't yet doesn't mean he won't. And sometimes we don't get to see it on this side of heaven. We wonder why God allows evil to prosper because the same compassion and mercy that he's shown to you, he desires to show to all men, even those who have not yet chosen him. And so if we want that compassion and mercy for ourselves, we must be willing to allow it for others as long as it takes. And to believe that is who God is. He has not forgotten to be merciful. All of his paths are merciful. His promises have not failed. He is not man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. His love has vanished because nothing can separate us from the love of God. He has not forgotten us. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, the Lord says, I will not. His favor has not ended because his callings are without repentance. Asaf says, you are the God who works wonders, who has manifested your faith among the peoples. His greatest wonder is that he cares for us. His greatest work is his care. Isaiah 63, 9 says, In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he reclaimed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. His anger has not withheld his compassion, for he is gracious and compassionate. It never fails. And so as Asaph looked at what God had done, as he looked at what God had, who God was, as his theology became turned back around, as he reasoned through, his reasoning turned to faith. And we have him talking about the redemption of Israel. He focuses in on that day that the Lord brought his people out of, Israel, or out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea for them. How do we get out of that place of why we find faith in our redemption? One of my favorite pastors says again and again, you have to preach the gospel to yourself because nobody talks to you more than you do. 
you have to preach the gospel to yourself. We must know our redemption. Because I will tell you, there is no way to look at the cross and question if God loves you. There is no way to look at the cross and question if God is good. There is no way to look at the cross and question his mercy. There is no way to look at the cross and not know that God cares for you. It's impossible. And not only that, but there is no way to look at the cross and not come to that place of if him, why not me? If he was willing to suffer for others' sake, why not me? If God has a plan and a purpose in this suffering, if I'm going to be able to minister and comfort others with the comfort which I have known, why not me? Because he did it for me too. We know the gospel and we preach it to ourselves again and again. It's interesting because the way that he describes the parting of the Red Sea seems kind of dramatic, right? Like, you kind of go, I don't remember there being storms and lightning and all of that. There wasn't. There's a couple things happening here. One, he's a psalmist. He's kind of dramatic. And he's giving it a colorful display of how it happened. But there was also a Canaanite tradition or a Canaanite um, teaching in those days because everybody believed the Red Sea had been parted and the Jews had walked through. It was known as a historical event. But in Can the Canaanites believed that it was Baal, the storm god, who had created the parting of the Red Sea. And so as Asaph talks about it in this way, he basically says, it is only Yahweh. No one else could have done it. Only our God. Only my God. That is the faith that he had. He knew his redemption. And he declared that God was the only answer. Where else will I go? Where else would I turn? Who else could I call out to? And then in his faith, he accepted what he couldn't understand. If you love that poem about the footprints in the sand, I'm about to ruin it for you for the rest of your life, so I apologize in advance. We all know that poem, right? Like, yeah, when I look back and there's only one set of footprints and it was God carrying me. Guess what Asaph says? There were no footprints. He says in verse 19, the seas parted and the people walked across, but your footprints were not seen. You see, we know God's glory. We know who he is. We see in our faith the things he has done. We believe he will do it again. He will believe that he will part the seas, but we are finite and we don't always know his ways. His ways are not ours. And that's where our faith comes. That's where Asaph came. We don't see the footprints, but we follow. We don't understand why this is happening, but we follow. We don't know where you're taking us, but we follow. Because the seas have been parted, and that's all we need to know. So where does it leave us? It leaves us at the beginning and at the end. He starts out by saying, I cried out to the Lord to hear me. He begins talking about that he cried out. He goes through his crisis of faith, but he begins with, I cried out. Where does it leave us? We cry out to the Lord as often as it takes, as many times as we need to. He is not burdened by us crying out. He does not grow weary of us reaching towards him. We cry aloud. 
we have this long history of car issues that we could probably write a book about. And my husband has become an expert at hearing what's about to go wrong with a car. In fact, I think the local dealership in Burnsville is about to hire him to tell them what's going on with all their cars. So he had bought a car from a used car dealership in Burnsville a few uh, months ago, and he bought the extended warranty on it, but this thing has had one problem after another. Things that are unique, things that should not be happening. And so the dealership finally said, you know what, let's just swap you out. We're just going to trade it. We're going to give you an extended warranty. I'm going to find you a car with low mileage. It's going to, we got this. So he tried out a couple. Everyone they gave him had something wrong with it. And then finally we got this car. Low mileage, you know, was used as like a rental car. So no big things to it. We we're like, perfect. And my husband was so excited that this ordeal was over. And so he pulled up in the driveway and he's like, hey guys, come out and sit in the car. So I walk out and I get in the front seat and my son gets, comes out and he sits in the back seat into a puddle of water. <laughs> they had blown out the sunroof when they had used the blower. They blown out and it had actually clogged it and all the rain was dripping straight into the car. So we brought it back and they fixed that. And then just this week, the transmission went out. And I will tell you, the used car dealership, every time my husband has come back, they have been gracious and fixing it, and they feel bad. If a used car dealership can do that, how much more can our God not grow weary? How much more can our God put up with us crying out again and again and again? We cry out because he wants us to. Peter knew that it was in crying out. You see, when Peter walked across the water, he wasn't saved. It was when he began to sink and cried out that he fell into the arms of the Lord. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter spends pretty much the whole book of 1 Peter talking about suffering and circumstances. And I love what he says in 1 Peter 5. It's a verse you know. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you're like me, I've read that verse a thousand times, and I have cut it into two. Humble yourself before the sight of the Lord, and he'll lift you up. Cast your cares on him before he cares for you. I'm going to blow your mind right now. <laughs> okay, probably not. But that word casting isn't a verb. In the Greek, it's not a verb. It is actually a word directly connected to humble yourself that is used there to explain how. Peter says, humble yourself before the sight of the Lord to lift you up. How? Just cast your cares on him. The Lord isn't looking for you to have perfect faith. He isn't looking for you to have perfect humility. He isn't looking for you to do or say anything just right. How we get to that place where we are in despair and low and wondering why is to cast and to cast and to cast all of your cares upon him. And then in the end, the psalmist ends kind of abruptly. I always look at the psalms as like talking to a teenager or a two-year-old. It's like all angst and then all of a sudden everything's fine. <laughs> no offense, two-year-olds. <laughs> Kidding teenagers, I love you. But it is, right? It's like that all this angst and all of a sudden everything's fine and you're like, what changed? And what does the psalmist say? You led your people across like your flock. He cries out and he's comforted. I can't promise you you're going to understand everything God is doing. 
I can't promise you that you're going to know exactly where you're going. I can't even promise you that the circumstances you're praying for are going to change anytime soon. But I can promise you that you have a God who is inviting you into his comfort. And all he says is cry out. Takes us all the way back to Psalm 23. We have a good shepherd. And he's calling us to his side. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he goes on to say, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Paul writes that it it is in our suffering that we find endurance and patience and faith. And it is in faith that we are perfected, lacking nothing, wanting nothing. As many times as it takes, cry out. As many, as much as you need, turn to him to comfort. This winter, my husband had to have double knee surgery. It was like a routine, no big deal thing. We originally had it all worked out. I had taken the day off from work, and then his surgery got moved to another day at a later time. And the caseworker I work with was out of town, so I couldn't take the day off. So we decided that he would just Uber. Turns out they'll let you Uber to a surgery, but they won't let you Uber home. Something about putting you in a car with a stranger drugged up, I don't know, it seemed legit to me, but they were not comfortable with it. And so I get this panicked phone call from my husband that they're not going to let him Uber home. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be late because I have to wait till the end of the school day. And my son had a swim meet and my daughter had speech and I was coordinating where everybody was going to go. And I finally got in the car and I started driving and the snow just started to dump as I'm going to Shakopee. And I get there, and I look, and it says on the screen where they are, and it says he's in post-op. And I think, he shouldn't still be in post-op. And I sit there for two more hours, and he's still in post-op. And I know that things are not okay. And they finally take me back. And it turns out my husband had undiagnosed sleep apnea, and he was allergic to anesthesia. So he had a pretty rough time. And he had stopped breathing multiple times, and they were still struggling to keep him breathing regularly every time he fell asleep. So I go back, and I'm with the nurse, and they want to let us go because it's snowing, and they want us to get out of there. And she looks at me, and she says, I'll let you go, but you're going to have to stay awake all night and make sure he keeps breathing. Okay. So we get in the car, and my husband, who's just still so drugged up, just starts sobbing. And all he says the whole way home is, you came, you came, you came. And as I sat there, I realized, yes, the Lord has his hand on our circumstances. He's guiding us, he's directing us, he's in the snow, and he's in the slippery roads, and he's in the chaos, and he's in the unexpected, and he's in the things that weren't supposed to happen. His hand is on all of those things because he is all-powerful and all-knowing, and he has never forsaken you yet, and he never will. But his eyes are on you. He's looking at you. He is concerned about you. I didn't have to stay up all night and worry about the snow. I just poked him every time he stopped breathing. (laughs) And God is willing to sit with us as long as it takes, as long as we need. One hand on the circumstance, one hand on the sea, and his eyes on us with a little poke every time we stop breathing. That's who our God is. That's what he does. That's why Asaph was able to stop there. Because he's a good shepherd. 
And we can't see his footprints. But there's no question that he loves us. I don't want to end this morning without the chance. I'm a total back row dweller that like shows up two minutes late so that I can sneak in. So I get that if this makes you uncomfortable, but I don't want to miss this opportunity this morning. If you're sitting here and you're asking why, if you are questioning God's love for you, if you need prayer this morning, I would love for you to raise your hand, stand up where you are, poke the person next to you so we can pray for you. Because you know what Asaph says? He says that God guided them through with Moses and Aaron. And in this church, you don't go through anything alone. You don't ever walk through the seas alone, and we want you to know that this morning. So I'm just going to bow my head to pray, and if that's you, stand up, raise your hand, let somebody put a hand on you this morning and pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you allow us to have messy faith. Lord, we thank you that you are not disappointed in us when our faith struggles. Lord, I just pray for anyone here who's struggling, whether it be their own circumstances or whether it's the somebody else in their life, Lord. I pray for the people who have not slept in days, for the people who feel like they've had their hand lifted and yet you have refused to comfort them the people who cannot see the walls or the footprints. Lord, may they cry out to you as many times as they need. May they know that you're near. May they feel you today. May they know that the God of all comfort has comforted them so that they might also comfort others. Your hand is on the circumstances and your eyes are on them. In Jesus' name, amen. So I worked at Lakeville South this year, and I had kids at my desk all day, every day, and they left all of their stuff on my desk. But luckily, my desk had these giant long drawers, so at the end of the day, I would pull out the drawer and just do this into my drawers. And the kids were always like, you stole my pencil, and I'm like, let's define stealing. I did not steal it. You left it on my desk. It got swooped in. But right before school ended, I decided it was time I got to clean out my desk, and the stuff that I found was humorous. And the caseworker that I work with was right in my line sight, and I could see her just laughing harder and harder. And at one point, she's like, is that a fork? No, it's a spoon. But as I was cleaning out all of these things, I found a small note from one of our kids thanking me for being there for them all year. It's worth it to be messy because we may not find out why it's all happening, but we will find why we hold on in the midst, why we keep going, why we keep doing, why we keep being, because God has loved us and he has redeemed us, and that will always be enough. May you have a great week. I will see you guys all soon.